one of the things that we typically enjoy doing in the Zier house is uh, playing games, whether that's card games or board games. And uh, uh, Caitlin got a new game for Christmas this year called Otrio. I don't know if that's one that you're familiar with. I'd only learned about it a year or two ago, but um, Otrio, if you've not played it before, it's a variation on uh, tic-tac-toe. So uh, uh, if you've, uh, well, Otrio is much more complex than regular tic-tac-toe would be, but, but we all know that in tic-tac-toe, the object of the game is to get three X's, three O's in a row, right? And, and a foundational rule of that game of tic-tac-toe is that once you've claimed a space on the board, it's yours can't be taken from you, the other person can't make their own mark there, that's your space. Well, in Otrio, there are three different sized pieces, and each space on the tic-tac-toe board can hold each sized piece. So somebody could put a piece right in the middle, but I could put a different sized piece in the middle also. And so, uh, really, each space can have three different pieces on it. It makes the game much more complex. And tic-tac-toe is traditionally just two players. Otrio, you can have up to four players. And so you really have to study the board to ensure that you're not missing a block, right? That you can, so you block somebody so that they can't get their tic-tac-toe. Well, as we were playing uh, this game, Caitlin was using a classic tic-tac-toe strategy in order to try to win. So rather than just hoping that somebody would miss the block, she would work it out so that there were multiple, multiple ways that she could win, right? So if I blocked her here, it wouldn't matter because she could win over here. And if I blocked her there, it didn't matter because she, she could win in the first place. So she got pretty good at this strategy. And if she got to go first, it seemed impossible to beat her. And even if she wasn't going first, uh, she still won quite often. Until I figured it out, and as a dad, I have to figure it out, right? I have to figure out, as a dad and just as me, <laughs> I have to figure it out. Uh, after losing enough times in a row, I finally realized that the way to defeat her was not to let her set up that tricky scheme, not to let her get started in having these multiple ways to win. And in order to do that, I needed to go on the offensive and force her to block me, right? Force her to make moves that she wasn't planning to make. When, when I was constantly playing defense, I kept getting beat. Um, it just felt like I was struggling to survive and it wasn't working anyway <laughs> in the game. But when I focused on my own strategy and went on the offensive, things became much more competitive. And she's still quite good and can still beat me quite often, but at least I have a fighting chance this time. As I look back over the year that was, 2020, I, I would describe it as a year where I felt like I was playing defense over and over and over. Uh, when it came to church body here, when it came to us as elders leading our church body during 2020, it felt like we were constantly having to adjust specifically to what the virus was doing. I can remember back to a meeting at, uh, at Larry Knapp's house, one of the early elder meetings as 
COVID was kind of coming on the scene and it felt like, you know, we'd make a decision and then, well, tomorrow something else came up and now you got to change it again. And it just, it, it felt nearly impossible, especially early on, but I would say throughout the whole year to, to do planning because as soon as we would come up with a path forward, something would change and we'd have to go back to the drawing board. It just felt like we were reacting to COVID, especially all year. Well, here we are in 2021, and I, I don't want to pretend like COVID is uh, completely a thing of the past, because it's not. Obviously, it is still here with us. Um, obviously, we may still need to adjust things as the situation continues to unfold. But my hope for 2021 is that we as a church body can be much more offensive-minded than, than we were in 2020. My hope is that our focus and our vision for 2021 can be more proactive than having to be reactive all the time. And so to that end, I wanted to spend some time at the beginning of this new year refocusing upon our purpose statement as a body of believers. Um, and, and this is printed on the front of your bulletin like it is nearly every week. That statement is, honor the Lord, build the body, disciple the nations. There's three phrases there. It divides nicely into three parts. And so as a result, for the next three weeks, we are going to spend uh, the next three Sundays unpacking each of those phrases. And to aid us over the next three weeks and beyond that, um, we've got our purpose statement printed on these four canvases that you can see uh, on the stage here. The first canvas over here, number one, has our purpose statement, has those three phrases written on it. And then the other three have each of those phrases with a couple bullet points uh, beneath each part. So we'll be talking about really each one of the specific phrases over the next three weeks. These will be up here. And then after uh, the next three weeks. These will be hung outside of the sanctuary um, in between the windows out in the hallway as a continual reminder for us moving forward. We'll have these, that visual there so that we can remember what we are called to as a church body. These are the things that, that we believe God is calling us to do as a body of believers. Uh, we believe there's biblical support for each one of these things, and, and hopefully you'll see that over the next three weeks. But we also believe that as a unique body of believers, as Eureka Bible Church in Woodford County, Illinois, we believe that these are the things God is directing us to live out. So without any further delay, let's, let's focus this morning on, on the first clause of, of that purpose statement, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. If someone asked you how they ought to go about honoring God, what would you tell them? Kind of let that question simmer in your mind just a little bit. How do we honor the Lord? I should have turned this around probably so you can't cheat, but how do we honor the Lord? How do we do that? I think that's a question that has been asked by all people of all religions, really probably across all times. Maybe, maybe not always how to honor the Lord, but in other religions, how do I honor 
specific God? Right? How do we honor them? And, and the answers to that question, I think, have varied quite a bit as well. Some have sought to bring honor to their God by constructing the biggest and most elaborate temples. And, and some of those have, have stood for thousands of years. You can go see some ancient ones even today. Some have sought to bring honor to their God by performing elaborate rituals in, in the name of their God. Some have sought to do great and awesome works in terms of money or power or prestige in the name of their God. Um, some have, have sought to conquer lands or conquer nations in, uh, in order to expand the influence of their God. And, and these all would apply, I would say, not only to false religions and false gods, but to people within Christianity as well who have sought to honor God over the centuries. The church has been distracted by all of those things throughout its history, and I would say at times today is still distracted by those things. But when we read God's word, we see that none of those paths, grand buildings, impressive feats, conquering things, grasping power, none of those things are the paths that will truly lead us to bring honor to God. The paths spoken of in God's word are much different than that. And so as you can see on the, the second canvas here, we've highlighted two of those paths, worshiping God by humbly serving him and loving God by keeping his commands. That is how God directs us to bring him honor. And, and, and while those two things do overlap some, we're going to examine each of them separately this morning. So, so the first one, worshiping God by, by humbly serving him. I want, to, I want to focus on two words in that phrase that, that I believe are closely related, worship and, and humbly, or, or the noun form, humility, worship and humility. When we think of the word worship today, we might initially think about a church service, a worship service. We might think uh, specifically about the musical parts of the church service. Maybe we broaden our definition and include concepts like adoration or, or devotion or, or respect. Um, and, and, and while all of those, they're all indeed components of worship, we might at times overlook the essential component of worship that, that was present in both the Old and New Testament understandings of that action. Both the Hebrew word and the Greek words which are used to describe worship, they speak of a bowing. Uh, they speak of a kneeling down. A person worships through, through prostrating themselves, through falling down with their face to the ground. And, and absolutely inherent in, in that act is a declaration of worth. A declaration of worth. The worth of the one doing the worshiping and the worth of the one being worshiped. Both are 
spoken of are shown through worship. The one bowing down to the ground, the one lowering their, themselves facing the ground, they, they are attributing a worth to themselves and a worth to the one they are bowing before. And, and you know, we naturally understand that, right? I'm not telling you anything new there. It, it doesn't matter the culture throughout history. The person of greater importance is never seen bowing themselves or kneeling before someone of lesser importance. It, that you haven't seen that in any culture through history. So, so to worship God is, is really to admit, both through our, our inner attitude and, and our outer actions, that God himself is of greater worth. He is of greater importance than ourselves. We, we honor the Lord through proper recognition of his worth and compared to our worth, his importance compared to our importance. And in fact, when considering the, the attitude required to worship God in that way, it is, it is necessary that there be humility present within ourselves. We cannot rightly and truly worship God without an attitude of humility. We could act like it, but we can't really do it. This is why this path to honoring God speaks of worshiping him through humble service. We, we humbly recognize God's worth above our own. We humbly recognize his importance above our own, and we humbly recognize his ways and his purposes above our own as well. You know, those who, those who seek to honor God through, uh, through grand buildings or impressive feats or, or just something based upon their own efforts are not truly humbling themselves before God in worship. And in fact, God spoke about this uh, through the prophet Micah. So I would encourage you to turn to Micah chapter 6. Remember how I said that, you know, all people throughout all history have been asking the question about how to bring honor to their God. Well, that's the very question that God's people were asking. And in Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, God speaks, and he's speaking through Micah, and God is essentially quoting the people in order to make a point. If you look at uh, verse 6, there's quotation marks there because God is quoting the people as he speaks. So, so listen to what God says as he quotes them. Verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So in quoting the people, God was pointing out how they were attempting or, or at the very least asking whether they should worship him through their impressive gifts, right? Animals, produce in large quantities, even through the sacrifice of their own children, but again, true worship of God is humbling ourselves and recognizing his worth, his importance, and his ways as well. 
It's not about impressing God through our gifts. As we will go on to see, God says it's about something else. Look at verse eight, and this is a verse we've probably heard so many times. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So we bring honor to God as we humble ourselves before him. We humble ourselves before him by serving him in the ways he has prescribed. And what has he prescribed? Doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with him. Verse 6, verse 7, the things listed there are not the way that we honor God. Verse 8 is the way that we bring honor to God. It is, it is what God has told us we ought to do. It's what he has told us brings honor to him. And so we ought to humble ourselves before him and walk in that path that he has laid out, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with him. The other path that we'll explore this morning to bring honor to God is loving God by keeping his commands. And and both of these things listed here, worshiping uh, God through humble service, loving God through our obedience, those are two sides of the same coin, if, if we can picture it that way. They, or they're, they're parallel paths, which both lead to honoring God. In, uh, in John's gospel, and, and, and this is like Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well, Jesus spends much of his earthly ministry teaching, training his disciples. Uh, he reveals himself to his disciples in ways that he doesn't to others. Um, he, he prepares them to advent, uh, eventually transition into being apostles, apostles who are sent out into the world with the good news of salvation about Jesus. So he does all of this teaching and training well, in John's gospel, in chapters 14 through 17, Jesus was in the last hours of his life. Um, the, the last supper had already taken place. His arrest, his crucifixion were, were, were very close on the horizon. And it is in that time, in those chapters, that Jesus began to speak to his disciples about what would take place from that point forward. He's, he's looking forward. He, he, he began by talking about heaven. He talked about how he's preparing a place for them, for those who have faith in him. Uh, he talked about how when he leaves, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to continue carrying out the ministry of Jesus through those who have faith in him. Uh, Jesus talked about the hardships that would lie ahead for those who have faith in him. He ended by praying for those who, who have faith in him. It is abundantly clear in that section that Jesus deeply loves his disciples and, and all those disciples who would come after them. That love is made known by the promises that he's making to them. That, that love would continue to be known through his crucifixion that, would, that was uh, shortly upcoming. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of Jesus' proclamation of his love, he, he, he gave direction regarding how his disciples could reciprocate his love. So I would encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 14. 
And we're just going to read some of the statements that, that Jesus makes. Remember, he's proclaiming his love to his disciples. He's going to tell them how they can reciprocate that. So John chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, skip down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So we, we bring honor to God by responding to his love poured out upon us. And we respond to that love and we reciprocate it by keeping his commands, as he stated here numerous times. Now, now this is not, uh, hear me clearly, this is not obeying God's commands so that he loves us. That is not the order at all. The love God shown to us came first. This here on the table, that came first. The love God shown to us was not earned. Uh, John would, would later write in his first epistle that, that we only love because he first loved us. So, so the, the, there's no hint here of a, of a works-based salvation. There's no hint here of, a, of an earning love. We don't earn God's love by keeping his commands. Not at all. We love God and we honor God by keeping his commands. And there is a big difference there, and we have to be clear on that difference. I think, I think parents especially naturally understand this, uh, this principle. And in fact, when you think about the Ten Commandments, I think this is at the heart of God's command to children to honor their parents. And, and, and when you think about every one of the Ten Commandments, undergirding them all is, is this relationship between God and his people. And so, so when you think about the fifth commandment, about honoring father and mother, obviously that has a direct, uh, direct impact application upon parent-child relationships, of course. But it's also meant to point to something deeper, like every one of the Ten Commandments does. As a, as a child learns to honor their father and mother through their obedience to their parents' commands, so they learn to display their love to God through their obedience to his commands. Uh, children, teenagers, uh, the way you do or don't honor your parents is setting you up to either honor or dishonor God throughout your life. Uh, parents aren't perfect, they don't claim to be, but it is foolish to think that honoring one's parents is disconnected from honoring God. It's not, it, it really is the training ground if you wanna think of it that way. The way we learn to honor our parents through obedience is how we learn to honor God through obedience. And, and to bring 
all of us adults back into the, uh, the picture here. We're foolish to think that, that honoring God is disconnected from obeying his commands. It's foolish to think that way. And again, it's not about earning salvation. It's not about earning favor, not at all. It's about responding to our loving God in a loving way. It's about reciprocating the love that he has poured out upon us. And Jesus repeated himself and said, you can do that as you obey my commands. I, I want to I kind of linger on that concept of obedience just a little bit because I think there's something within us, and, and I'm convinced this comes from our sinful nature, that leads us to think that submitting ourselves to the commands of either our parents or to God will lead to a loss of freedom. Right? That it will lead to a, to a frustrated, miserable existence. And so we push back against those commands because we're led to believe that there's greater joy in choosing our own path, doing what I want to do, regardless of what my parents have said, regardless of what God has said. Satan deceives us and he tempts us to think that there's this trade-off that takes place, right? That, that there's, you know, he, he tempts us to think that, that when we love God through obedience, we're trading off something. He tells us the lie that to love God by submitting to his commands means that we sacrifice joy, that it's not going to be a joyful existence. That's the lie. I mean, he, he whispers that to us, Right? And we've heard that lie plenty of times. It's a blatant lie. It, it is. There is no trade-off. There is no trade-off. Obedience to God and joy in life are not mutually exclusive, even though he tempts us to think that they are. In fact, they are more deeply connected than we might know. Look, uh, look with me at John chapter 15. Again, the, the same context of, of Jesus speaking to his disciples. Look at what Jesus says, John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's what Jesus has been saying up to this point. But look at verse 11 here. He brings joy into the picture. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying that our joy is full when we love God through keeping his commands. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go directly together. How incredible is that? I mean, not only do we bring honor to God when we are obedient to him, but our joy is full. We find joy in that. Uh, you know, the, the next time Satan whispers the lie into our ear that it's not worth it to be obedient to God, well, let's just point him right here and say, Satan, no, no. Jesus says, my joy is full when I am obedient to God's commands in my life. And again, not, it, it, it's both. It brings honor to God and it brings joy to us. I mean, this, 
<laughs> Satan's never going to tell us that, right? He's going to lie to us and think that they can't go together. But they do. They do. Jesus shows us that right here. We, we desire to, to bring God honor. We seek to do it humbly as we worship him. We, we seek to do it obediently as we, as we love him. This is, this is one of our callings, one of our purposes as a church body. And how great is it that we're going to find joy as we do that? We'll find joy individually, but as a corporate collective body of believers, we'll find joy in that as well. We are, we, are, uh, we are observing communion this morning, so I'll have the elders uh, come forward here as we prepare to serve that. Um, again, you know, I, we talk about this calling that we've been given to, to honor the Lord. It's a calling, but it's also an example that has been set before us. You know, Jesus stated in John 15 there, uh, verse 10, that we are to keep his commands just as he has kept the Father's commands. Just as he has kept the Father's commands. So, so while Jesus' obedience to his heavenly Father, it was, it was most certainly a daily submission, but it's no more powerfully seen than in his crucifixion, right? Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross was the most honoring thing he could have done toward God the Father. And so, you know, we understand that our participation in communion this morning, it is a reminder of Jesus' love poured out upon us. It is also a reminder of what is to be our loving response to God. As Jesus submitted himself in obedience so we ought to submit ourselves in obedience to God as well. And, and if I can just one more time kind of beat the drum about the joy of obedience. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 2, that, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think about that. Jesus looked at the pain and the agony and, and the shame of the cross, and because it was God's command to him, he saw the joy that would be the result of his obedience. I'm sure he was joyful at the new life that it would bring about to all those who would place their faith in him. I'm sure he found joy in that. But, but I'm also convinced that he found a joy in the fact that he was honoring his heavenly father through his obedience. And so as, as we bring honor to the Lord through, through bowing down, through submitting ourselves to him and his commands, we will, again, we will be blessed. We will be blessed to be filled with joy as a result. So we see this as Jesus' love poured out for us, which it is. But it is also Jesus' love poured out for his heavenly Father at the same time. And that's an example that, that we ought to emulate as we seek to live out this purpose of honoring the Lord. 
Now, just a quick direction. We, we, still, have, uh, we still have the prepackaged communion. Um, that there will be some of those in each tray. And so if you would like to take those uh, for sanity's sake, it's probably not for taste's sake, but for sanity's sake, uh, please feel free to do that. Uh, we do also have the, the, the regular bread and juice that, that we were using before COVID in there. So if you would like to take one of those, they are cups stacked on top of each other, a juice cup on top of a bread cup. So make sure you grab both when you, when you take those, but, uh, but you do have those options. So take the one that, uh, uh, that you would like to take.